What up now, One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey, and we are here for episode 142, the Detroit Ions. Where is the L, you might ask? We gave it to Washington, and we sent them back to the capital of the US with their tails between their legs, because this is Victory Monday, Ryan. How are you feeling on the back of uh, our first win of the season? So early going on, it's it's great to wake up on a Monday and just enjoy a victory in football. Yep, compared to last season where we were like zero and six, zero and seven, and it was a never felt like the never-ending story. Like we were never getting closer to that first win. The monkey is off our back. The first win there, the first winnable game as well. Last week was a free shot, but. I was never that confident, but no, one-on-one, and a bit of confidence going into, uh, into the Minnesota. Like I said, I'm, I know we're heavy underdogs, but I'm definitely not writing us off, not with how we've been operating in the last few weeks going into the end of last season, so I hope they don't underestimate us, but yep, feel good, saw lots of things I liked, saw things I didn't like last week improved on, which was probably more important than some things, and in the end got over the line and a lot of national media, a lot of guys just talking and praising the Lions. Absolutely, 100%. Thank you to everyone who has uh, stuck with us on Twitch and YouTube. Through, through. I've had some technical issues to start with. I, I have this weird thing when, when my computer goes into standby when I'm away from it, it messes with my streaming settings for some reason. I don't know why. I've shut the system off. It's going again. We seem to have much better coverage going on on YouTube and Twitch, although I did laugh at the little clip Ash sent me in uh, Discord of me like sounding like I've got a Ray Helium voice. I know I'm a little loud, so... Um, just anyone who's joining who wasn't on the first one there, if you're wondering where everybody else is this evening, Matt obviously usually hosts this. He's over in America at the minute. He's over in Yosemite National Park getting flat tires on his car, but still getting to see the scenery out there. So that's great for him. And if the Lions keep winning, maybe we'll want to consider adopting him and keeping him there. Maybe it's a good luck symbol if Matt's in America and uh, we get Lions wins while he's there. So maybe we'll extend his stay um, a little bit there. Um, so yeah, um, Ash is in the Twitch chat. Yeah, he says that's much better in there. Um, We'll talk about the shutout again. What we're going to do, we're just going to quickly re-go over the stuff we did before because I need to do this for an audio podcast as well. Um, we'll try and put some new stuff in there and then we'll crack on from uh, where we were at. Thanks to everyone who was in the YouTube chat as well. Death Fanman's in there. Grandizer's back with us. Yep, the L, the L Grandizer, that's gone with Washington back to the capital. That's, uh, that's always a good one. And they're now called Ashington because we have their W. Um, Marty Greenberg's in the chat. Who wants to start a Dan Skipper fan club? Um, me and Ryan are going to join the Dan Skipper Apology Club at some point tonight. We're both going to both going to chat about him and uh, how well he did. Um, so yeah. Oh God, has it gone again? Here we go. No, there should be no issues. Right. 
So I'm just going to crack on with the episode. So um, just going to quickly, you know, we'll, we've done the housekeeping bits. We'll go through that. So just one little bit of news to go through. Jameson Williams, Ryan, he is up in his rehab. He has been posting to his Instagram page footage of him doing runs, doing cuts, looking good on that ACL, which is rehabbing from a bad injury. How good is it to see him, you know, really getting into the stride of things, looking good, moving good, Hopefully, not been too far away from a first-team appearance for the Detroit Lions. It's massive. Let's say we gave up capital. We traded up to take him because we thought he could be maybe the future number one here in Detroit. They weren't put off by the injury. They knew that it was something that he was hopefully going to bounce back from quickly. It's probably been killing him, sat on the sidelines, being with medics, not been able to get involved in any of the slightest drills. So now he's down, he's like I say, he's sprinting, he's doing uh, solo workouts, he's looking to put on that muscle mass back on like the leg, trying to get up and running. I think we'll see him rather sooner rather than later. I suspect maybe game six, maybe game seven, that might be the first time you see him get any light duties, but he's trending off coming off IR, I think. Like to a next case, like say, we'll be padding up at some point, they'll give him some light work, maybe just a helmet, so he's, he's definitely getting in the right direction. And he could transform this offense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, first four games, he's potentially less than two weeks away from being activated now. I mean, I know it might not happen there, but, you know, it's always nice to see the earliest possible opportunity for them to uh, to return. So excitement builds. We've got some dynamic playmakers that we can put him there with. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to see. Um if you're in YouTube and you're struggling, just look, just let me know if the stream is alright, because I'm getting a few things here, but everything seems like it is holding up on my end here. Um, so yeah, that's really it for the news. We listened to Dan Campbell in his press conference just gone by. Didn't really give a great deal away um, as to what's going you know, as, in terms of news or anything other than how happy he was with the team and how they played, and you know... That's really good. That's all we want on a Monday from a Monday press conference, just to hear about how good the team was as opposed to the issues which cost us a game. So without further ado, let's dive back down in there. Micro Mike's back in the chat. Thank you very much for rejoining us. Uh, hopefully this stream is a lot better now. Um, oh, he's saying it sounds a well. Thank God for that. Oh, yeah, again, sorry. Rookie mistakes here with this, so uh, I do apologise, but hopefully this is going on. Uh, all right, right, Ryan, let us dive down into the game, and we talked briefly about it before, but um, Matt usually does a drive-by drive of the game and does all that. I've, uh, I'm nowhere near able to go into such detail about the games here, so we'll talk about the halves individually a little bit, maybe just think what we say about the team, and then we'll dive down into some player issues, some positional group issues, which I would... Um, which I would like to like to uh, chat about. And if you've got anything you want to mention, then uh, go for it. Um, right, so the first half. This, I think to all of us, was a surprise. Because we're not accustomed to the Detroit Lions starting off very quickly in games. Um, but quickly before I do go into the half, the inactive list. Jonah Jackson, guard, centre Frank Ragnow, cornerback Amani Oruwarie, cornerback Ifiatu Melifonwu. Yes, I'm still calling him a cornerback because that's where he should be playing on this team. All those injury-related and then just the, uh, the healthy scratches for the day. Demetrius Taylor, the defensive tackle. James Mitchell, tight end. And Edge Austin Bryant, which may be a little bit of a surprise there, but... 
we'll come back to it uh, very shortly. So yeah, the first half. What a first half this was, Ryan. Lions up 22 zip at the half, courtesy two f touchdowns, two field goals, and a safety. So the Lions, they start off hot, they go, well, first drive was really bad actually, a couple of sacks, kind of went back with the ball, we're thinking, God, what's going to happen today, you know, is this an ominous sign of things to come? No, the defense, it comes out really hot, makes some stops, Lions go 3-0 up with a field goal, we get the ball back pretty quickly again after that, drive all the way down, we're in the red zone of Washington, we you know, figure we're going to get into the end zone, get all the way to fourth down, the Lions go for it. Unfortunately, we didn't convert, so we turned the ball over on downs. But we had it in a situation where Washington were all the way backed up to their red zone. And our pass rush looked freaking phenomenal. We got the safety from this. Charles Harris absolutely destroys Charles Leno, the left tackle from Washington. Just does this lovely little swipe move on him, gets under him, gets to the quarterback. Aiden Hutchinson on the other side just straight up manhandles Samuel Cosme. Pushes him right back into Carson Wentz. And the two of them together, I'm not sure who got the final touch on it. I think it is Charles Harris. Strips at Carson Wentz. The ball flies out the back of the end zone. Safety. 5-0. But does Detroit stop there? No. Washington has to punt it away after that. It lands with Khalif Raymond on our own 17. He returns it all the way to the Commander's 30. Some great blocking, great running. Lions just really did not let up off the gas. And on that resulting drive, Jared Goff throws possibly the best throw I think I've seen him make in Detroit. He is under severe pressure in the pocket. Escapes through two defenders. He's on the move. He's getting pressured by another two guys. Tosses it up high in the end zone to only where Amon Ra can get his hands on it. Amon Ra makes the catch, brings it down. There you go. Wonderful pass. Goff gets sandwiched for his troubles, but the Lions touch down there. Then they add another field goal right at the start of the second. Makes it 15-0. The defense, coverage is looking great. The pressures are looking great. Aiden is basically welded to Carson Wentz at this point. Three sacks and God knows how many hits on him there. And then the Lions, another touchdown. A lovely drive down the field. A lot of running through the interior. A lot of good passing. You know, Ben Johnson mixing up the plays. Get all the way down again. Jared Goff throws it to Josh Reynolds. In we go. It's 22 to zip. Defense closes out the half with very few worries here. I know Wentz wasn't great, but the defense... You know, the Commanders only got a couple of first downs in the first half. The first one, five minutes left in the half. That was it. This was a full 20 minutes, 25 minutes into the game before they got the first first down. They did not have a single offensive snap in the Lions' half in the entire first half of this game. So, I mean, is, it an, is this an exaggeration to say this is the best half of Lions football, complimentary, both sides of the ball, that we have seen since Caldwell was here. And what did you make of it? Definitely the first. Definitely the best first half I've seen in years. Maybe even just before Caldwell, like you say, I think you could go back seven, eight years, it's probably one of the best, potentially. It was just so balanced. Special teams. You saw the likes of uh, Malcolm and Cephas getting down the field first, making big tackles, giving them poor field position. We saw that Swift 
was getting effective touches, but Williams and Reynolds doing the hard interior work. He was a running back by committee. We saw the Amonara, Reynolds, both getting nice receiving touchdowns, which were nice. Nice touch by Goff. Like say, he was lasered and he was in the zone in the first half. We saw excellent defense. We saw Terry McLaurin taken away completely by Okuda. We saw Will Harris keeping everything in front of him, making solid tackles, coming up to the line of scrimmage. We saw Deshaun Elliott. We saw safety blitzes. We saw the backers being quiet but effective because nothing was getting through the defensive line. Bugs, McNeil, keeping stuff, sniffing it out. Antonio Gibson it was like a dog about a bone. Didn't have a chance in the first half. And then the pass rush. Like say you had uh, Kaminsky, you've got Hutchinson, you've got Harris. They are collapsing pockets. They are giving Wentz nowhere to go. He's not mobile. He struggles to get find an escape route. And in the end, he just had to succumb. And like I say, Hutch had a fantastic half. Like I say, right place, right time, but he still had to get past the offensive lineman. He was breezing past him with ease. He was just dropping the shoulder or just using aggression. Just going through power. I say, and Wentz was like scared of him in the end, and ultimately, it was one of the most controlled halves as well. Like one penalty for the whole game, the silly formation, just five yards. That is unheard of. When did the Lions have one penalty for five yards during a game? Everyone knew that we were understaffed, like we were short in areas, and they all just buckled up and they worked hard for one another. And the offensive line. Not taking too many snaps together. Second and third stringers. Solid across the board. Creating massive holes. The 50-yard swift run. You see uh, Dan Skipper make a big hole behind him so he can break away on a little reverse run. And it was just gelled well all day. Like I said, they, get, they kept Goff very clean. Like I said, even the missed throws, the drops, he had clean pockets to work from all day. And the first half was just a culmination of... Good coaching. Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson got the first half on point and players executing. I mean, yeah. I mean, How nice just was it, though? You know, to seals on top and dominant. I mean, it, it's not very often that happens. And it, it shows a side to this team that we've not seen before. You know, we, we won some games last year, but these are in no pressure situations. It's the end of the year. We've lost loads. We're out of the playoffs. This... This this looked different this time, didn't it? This was a team who used momentum to its advantage for a change. And, you know, I, I don't think I've ever finished a half of football with the Lions with such a big smile on my face. No, yeah. Like, it's early in the season, but these games are important. There are people out there that are umming and ahhing about like, the direction the Lions going. Are we going to start getting wins, less moral victories? Like I say, the presses, the hard knocks, it all looks great. But can we get the job actually done on the field? And can we put points on the board and keep teams out? And we answered those yesterday, yeah. Like I said, we got over in early in the season. We weren't just coming out the blocks waiting until we were 20 points down to wake up and decide that we're finally going to try and get back in the game but fall short. We were going to set the pace and put pressure on Washington, who are not a bad team. This team, two, like two years ago, won the NFC East. Terry McLaurin, I say, they've got Peter Samuel, got Logan Thomas, got Antonio Gibson. They have got playmakers, and they've caused problems for people in last. And Wentz, he's no mug. 
points there. He is solid, and he had a very good week last week. They were, they looked good on offense, and yeah, we subdued them. Like I said, we took away their identity. Absolutely, I one hundred percent agree. We just stopped them from doing absolutely anything, and it was such a wonderful thing to see. Ash, I've seen your comment and I've seen your question about Chark in the Twitch chat. I've seen all you guys in YouTube as well talking about the players as well. We're just doing the halves first, then we're going to dive down into the players. So if you've got any questions about, them, keep them coming. I will get back to them when we talk more specifically about the players. But yeah, I'm with you. I think that's one of the most complete performances we've ever seen in a half. For a long time, um, uh, Jordy Manchin, I saw him in the uh, YouTube chat, he said, yeah, best and most complete half I've ever seen. I imagine that's the same for quite a few Lions fans, or at least the best half they've seen in recent years. But, as we know, the NFL is a very competitive business, and we as Detroit Lions fans are used to the second half comeback. Very rarely do teams get their own way for 60 minutes in this one, and I think we all realised there was going to be a reaction in this. 22-0, Washington's pride's going to be hurt. They're going to come out, they're going to try and make a statement. They're going to try and put us under pressure because we're untested when it comes to pressure situations and trying to defend leads. So, you know, we come out right after the half. Washington, they look like a completely different team. First drive, they absolutely... I'm just going to say it, they rinsed us completely. It did not take them long to get down the field. Carson Wentz throws into Curtis Samuel. Touchdown, they're on the board. Offense started to stall a little bit. Now, I know we have these little issues where we have moments in the game, short periods of time where the offense just doesn't really seem to get it going. However, we had the benefit of a 22-point lead this week, not been behind like we were against the Eagles, so it wasn't to our detriment as much um but while the offense was stolen the defense was still playing well william harris as he was called i saw him called early his full name was used will harris got a pick off carson wentz now don't get me wrong this wasn't like a super clutch catch out the air which absolutely just you know dismayed carson wentz i think it bounced twice once off of commander's player once off a lines player but he was there you've got to be around the ball to make plays comes up with the clutch interception stops washington driving on us tries to get us back in the game now the offense is still not performing well at this point we didn't get anything off of that we turned the, well we didn't turn the ball over we gave the ball back to them washington drive down the field again and our former tight end our former tight ends love playing against us logan thomas he finds the end zone they hit a two-pointer all of a sudden, 22-0 was turned into 22-15. And I'm not going to lie, I was very, very nervous at this point. I even put on Twitter, on our account, we need, you know, if if you're a player who wants to make your mark on this team, wants to show you are a corner pin of this team, you are a linchpin here, you are a game changer, stand up and make yourself known. And what happens, the two biggest game changers we have on this roster currently, they stood up and made a name for themselves. Amon Ra St. Brown on the jet sweep, the jet sweep that was that effective of what it did. One of the Washington players can quite clearly be heard shouting, oh sh yeah, fill in the blanks, because he knew what was gonna happen. 50 odd yards up the field, drive started right down into Washington territory, put them on the back foot again, just start to turn momentum back in our favor. Now, we got backed up by a sack, and there we are thinking, oh God, this is just gonna be a field goal, it's not gonna get quite there. Third down, up steps, DeAndre Swift, the other dynamic playmaker on this team, gets a catch from Carson Wentz, where he's basically 
at church, he's on his knees praying, he's got the ball, he's on the ground, he's got a bit of a gap around him, you're thinking, there's no way we're getting a first down here. But not only does he get a first down, three broken tackles later and defenders duped later, he's in the end zone, touchdown Detroit Lions, and from that point onwards, that play was like the Vikings play last year where Amon Ra got the touchdown and we got our first win. I just felt something change. I felt the winds change, the winds of fortune. We would not have done that in the past. Under the utmost pressure, our top players stood up, made a play, got the lead back going forwards. Now, it wasn't over. 29-15 at this point. Antonio Gibson hits back with a rushing touchdown. Washington very crucially then go and miss a two-point conversion. It's 29-21. to 21. There's an eight-point gap there. Um, so they're still like a play and a conversion behind there. But the Lions come back and hit back again. Jared Goff finds Amon Ra. Second touchdown on the day. They just straight up couldn't deal with the Sun God in this one. He was a God who showed no mercy to that team. We're far enough ahead by this point. The commanders, the clock is running out. They're driving down the field, taking up time. I mean, how nice it was to see another team under clock, under scoreboard pressure from the clock, trying to get down the pitch. They get in just at the start of the two, just after the two-minute warning. Last two minutes, Jahan Dotson, in fairness, makes a really good catch above a Lions defender. But they onside kick it. We get it back. We see this game out. And, I mean, Ryan... For me, in this half, this said a lot about this football team. In a lot of times in recent years, when that gets to 22-15, we lose from that point. Momentum does not change. They don't have the stomach. They don't have the bottle. They don't have the player to stand up and make himself known, make himself a hero. But yesterday, that entire team stood up, played well, and its star playmakers, when they needed them the most... They were there for them. What did you make of that second half? And uh, how nervous were you getting towards the end of it? It was a roller coaster of emotions. Like say, the third quarter, Matt Large parts of it were not very good. Like I say, I, I did not enjoy it. The, the first 10 minutes coming out of the half were bad. Like I say, they, the coverage, they got to like zone. We were leaving like big gaps. They were crossing routes, like say Dotson and uh, McClure, and were getting free for some chunk players, which took a bit of pressure off of Wentz because Hutch by now is limping. Like say he's a uh, he's ineffective. He was coming in and out of the game. They were rotating him, which disrupted a bit of the uh, defensive line. Uh, but they found momentum on offense. Like say they were getting the slippery guys. Like say their receivers are solid. And they were finding space. First touchdown, like, oh, I don't know who put Charles Harris on uh, Curtis Samuel, but that was horrible. Watching a defensive end try to cover a wheel route. Like, with no disrespect to him, it was like an oil tanker against, like, Speedy Gonzalez. It was a terrible matchup, but they exploited it really well. And then, let's say, we get the ball like an offence. And the commentator said twice, what is wrong with TJ Hawkinson? And I was thinking it myself. He dropped... Two or three passes in that third quarter, and him and Goff just, just just not on a level, not on a wavelength. One of them hit in the hands, but yeah, things the just connection. We've just gone soft. We've just gone a bit cold. Like I say, we need to get back to what we were doing again. Like I say, they were stopping and run a little bit, trying to go up the middle. And then, like I say, 
some good play calling. Like I said, we teased that jet sweep in the first half. I think this week we're on like 55% pre-motion snaps. And like I say, this time we got the end around, which we'd wanted to see Amon Ra do last season, but he rarely got the opportunity. And yeah, you hear them go, oh crap, we can't get across, we can't seal the edge. Takes off down the sideline. I think he's going to get the score. They managed to just get him out of bounds, but that lit a fire. Like I said, that was that took so much pressure just off the crowd, which had gone flat because they were nervous. We were nervous. It felt like it was important. And then you said a very poorly ball thrown from Goff that lands at Swift's feet, which makes him have to fall over when he reaches down to get it. But then he gets up. Like I said, two guys try to miss him, cuts inside. There's just a safety between him who just grasps and grabs thin air. And that felt like a nail in the coffin. That there was something we just never able to do. When someone gets close or we start to panic, we never get back on top. We're never able to wrestle momentum away, but that felt massive. And it was like a big sigh of relief in the stadium. And then it was a tussle, the fourth quarter, back and forth. Like I said, there, we're trying to eat clock. They're trying to save it. But in the end, just the seconds were ticking away. The missed two-pointer, like I say, the Bobby Price interception, that was big. Like I said, what they'd done previously in, earlier in the game, they felt they had to go for two, and in the end, it would come up pretty big, and that would cost them. So they're still moving the ball, but yeah, we're playing that bend-don't-break defence, just trying to see the game out. In the end, like I said, we do get off the line, the onside kick, won't even legal, only travel five yards, so... We pounced on that and got the got the job done. If you take out the first like ten minutes of the second half, I'd say we were the better team across the board for the best part of three quarters. We controlled it. They did come back in. That's not because we were poor. That's just because they made good adjustments. Good teams adjust at the half, and they did. Mm. They took exactly exploited space in the second half. They got their playmakers the ball and. They capitalised on some uh, mismatches and they got some things they like to see and stuff that didn't suit us. So it was a good test. In the end, I don't mind facing a bit of adversity and coming through it. If you win 40-0, you don't always learn as much as you do when you win 36-27. And yeah, like I said, they put us in difficult positions. Like I said, practising two-point conversions, goal-line defence, that makes teams better. And we were pretty good. Like I say, we, we stuffed, like I say, a two-point conversion. Got an exception, like I say, Will Harris tips off the hands, hits the safety, it bobbles up in the air, and it looks like it's just going to land as a nice Washington reception. But Harris goes down to ground and does a really good job in securing the ball. And, yeah, it was it was really good generating turnovers and just not leaving players out there. And, yeah, some guys stood up in the game. Some guys made themselves counted. And it was a really good win under the circumstances they made us work for it in the end. Yeah, yeah. The, you mentioned the interior D there. The interior D is going to get some love when we talk about the players there in a moment. But, yeah, I think on the whole, you know, we won because we were the better team. Not because Washington were bad. Now, I know their analysts and media are trying to make out that they were horrible, the defence was horrible. But you watch that game, Detroit is the better team. It just is. It's not Washington playing bad. I mean, Carson Wentz got 300 yards and three touchdowns. 
You know, it's not. He didn't play bad. The run game got touchdown. Looked all right. They didn't play bad. We just played better than them. And you know, just bef- again before we talk about the players and the positional groups. I mean, what has this win done for you in terms of your analysis of this team? I mean, we've seen a team now that can dominate halves when it's under you know when it's under pressure to in a preseason game in a in a regular season game with meaning we've seen this team dominate in a half in the second half we've seen this team be able to change the tide of momentum when another team's coming back on them and pull ahead keep the sport keep the scoreboard moving keep winning games we're seeing a team of players who so half of them were on their you know you know a lot of them were injured Hutch is limping around on one leg. Akuda has cramps and he's like getting himself back on the field and playing. This is a far cry from the day when the likes of Trey Flowers and Jamie Collins just used to half-arse their way around the field and, and decide when they did and didn't want to play. This is a team full of guys who want to go out there and give 100% every play. Now that you've seen the Lions be able to overcome some of the mental obstacles that they've struggled with on the past and what this team can do was... Has this changed your opinion of what they can do this season? Or has it reinforced what you thought they could do before? What what has it done for you in general? It's it's reinforced what I thought we could do. I said the Lions can win seven, eight games this year. And for some people, that's not enough or for their team that's a bad season. Like for Detroit, seven, eight wins this year is good. Like I said, that will that will make a lot of people very happy. And I have seen now that this offense can score points. This offense can one, it can work with Goff, and also when Goff's not firing, it can take the pressure off him. If we can run the ball and ask him to do less and still be successful, that's great. Like I say, comes out of this game with like I say four and no touchdowns, interceptions. Like I say, passing completion percentage not great, but Swift, Reynolds, Williams, like. They did the dirty work. Like I said, they made the big chunk plays. So they were able to take that pressure off him. They were able to burden, take some of the burden. Because, like I said, Jared Goff last year, they, he was under it. He was burdened. Mm. Like I said, the, the run game wasn't always great. He made errors because he had to try make plays. This year, he won't have to. If he can rely on a defense that can give him one half and shut out a, shut out a team for a half and let him just go to work, like that is a big sigh of relief for him. That will just make him feel so much better about him trying to potentially have his best season in the league. This is still one of those seasons where he could still be statistically the best season of his career. He's on like four... Like, it's, it never happens like that, but if he played like this every week, he has like 48 touchdowns. He has started really well, and... He's just trying to recapture that form that he knows we're capable of. He knows he's capable of. But the guys around him as well are just, just trying to earn a bit of respect. DeAndre Swift feels very disrespected. You can just tell, like I say, his man scores too low. People don't keep him in that top 10 of echelon of running backs. They say he's still too small. So he went out and put like 12 pounds of muscle on. And in two weeks of the season, he's out there saying that he can run with the big dogs. He can be a Jonathan Taylor. He can be a Nick Chubb. He doesn't have to be a David Montgomery, just a gadget smaller guy. He can put a team on his back and he can carry them. And there's guys out there that have got chips on their shoulders. We know Amon Ra, guys, he's got a boulder on his shoulder. 
he has everyone drafted before him and you look at everyone taking the same round as him on on the day he was drafted he's got like 400 more yards just on his own in the, his career so far he's putting them all to shame I'd say because they're not motivated as he is he's upset that all them got taken before him they're clearly not that upset that he's outshining them and he might have gone before them so some guys out there they just want it a little bit more it just means a little bit more Hutch said that maybe in college if he got hurt he'd take a playoff but he said this is the big times I've got to play through pain I have to go out there and I have to see this out even if I can't be effective can't just take players off he goes out there and he limps and if you don't get to win so if you can't make the tackle at least he's still out there he's still trying whereas in the past we've just had guys that just wouldn't, wouldn't do that they were more bothered about long-term health not putting it out there not leaving it all out on the field just worried about bonuses and money and things like that and everything else that just wasn't football and everyone now is just going in one direction and we have got the best group of coaches as a collective I've seen in 11 years we have not had this set of coaches we might have had more experienced head coach like I said it's got wins but were the people below him did I trust them as much as I trusted him no I trust Kelvin Shepard I trust all the pleasant I trust these guys Hank Fraley I trust them as much as I trust Dan if not even more and I have not said that in my entire fandom the offensive coordinators defensive coordinators have been irrelevant to me win or lose it's the head coach's fault they take pressure off Dan they take the burden of whether this team does well and he just tries to just people keep people motivated and then he shows the love where it's delivered where it's deserved yeah, so on the back of this, you think maybe yeah, you, they're going to hit the win total you thought they'd get, or maybe a bit more? Yep, I'd say I think seven to nine wins is very achievable from what I've saw, and I'm not bothered about the playoffs. The playoffs is an additional extra bonus. If we go into the playoffs via a wild card, I'll thank my lucky stars, and I won't care what happens in the result of that game. That would be a perfect year two for this rebuild, because some teams... It takes a lot longer than that. I think we're ahead of where the Houston Texans are. We're ahead of where the Bears are. And we're ahead of where Jacksonville are. And those are the teams I really keep in my sights. How are they doing? How are we doing? If we're not performing them, great. We're trending in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the coaches. there. Before I give my summarization of the game... Um you mentioned coaching, how impressed you are with it, and how it seems to be the most complete we've had in a long time. Obviously, it's a coaching staff that's still learning, and you know, it's, it's not the finished product yet. But um, the single dads club in YouTube asks, he goes, "Are you guys concerned with some of the coaches' play calling? Some of the play calling have me scratching my head, in my opinion." Now, I'm, I can't speak on behalf of him. I'm guessing maybe we're referring to when the offense is having its little lulls in there I mean when when we did have the lull at the start of the third we were passing it a bit more we kind of abandoned the run a little bit and then maybe you could make you know assumptions about the defense at the end was it getting enough stops you know they were scoring pretty easy on us at some points are you concerned about any of it or, or do you feel like it is going in the right direction and it is just some form of growing pain that we've got with them at the minute I think I don't blame the coach of how that third quarter went that first half was really good in the third quarter they said you know what 
let's try put this game in bed. They're going to come out at half, and let's say they put 15 points up. Could we start running the ball and think about clock management? No, we had to respond. So they were saying, Goff, here's the ball. We're going to get some crossing routes. We're going to get some passing. Did it work? No. Was the communication? Yes. Did he make some eerie throws? Yes. But there's some drops. Everyone has to share the blame for that third quarter, like say. And everyone, the whole offense is responsible for Jared Goff's completion percentage. I know I'm not harsh him, but what I've seen two weeks is everyone is responsible for that number. It cannot just go down to him because I have seen people that are affecting it and things just weren't working. Ben Johnson, like I say, give it a week or two, or if you're already, he's the full-time play caller. I think Dan will be very happy with the scene. I don't think Dan will, from this point on, where something changes, interfere. And in the second half on the defence, picking up niggles, guys getting tired, and I'm pretty sure Aaron Glenn recognised that, and he thought, do you know what? I need to save ourselves for the fourth quarter. He didn't send four or five. He didn't blitz Deshaun Elliott as much in the third. He was going to save himself for a last stand. But they were scoring. That's because they adjusted and because they were making good plays and they were getting matchups that they liked. Like I said, if they saw we put Charles Elliott out there, they swung a running back on a wheel. We'll never win that. Will Harris, bit tired. Jeff Lee's out with cramp. They take some shots downfield. Good receivers. They attacked us and they hurt us. And in the end, we were, yeah, we were tired. Like I said, we were ailing. Like I said, we were lacking depth at that point and we were trying to rotate in and rotate guys and they capitalised on us and they caught us sleeping. In the end, in the fourth quarter, I'd say Hutch was pretty much at this point dead. That's where I would have, I would have wanted Austin Bryant. He could have come in in that fourth quarter in the relief and could have carried on with the pass rush. Kaminsky did as best as he could. Charles Harris has been on the field a long time. We were not getting to Wentz. Like I said, the offensive line adjusted but we were just running out of juice and out of pass rush. And in the end, yeah, they were they were moving the ball and the pocket was more comfortable. So I don't think it was that much. I just think that we were flag- we were flagging a little bit. In the end, we got off the line, but I feel like we had a lull. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very rare that you have a full game where someone will outcoach, well, one team will outcoach the other whole game. I mean, you even saw it with the Rams who won the Super Bowl last year. How many times for three quarters did they outcoach teams and then Sean McVay just got completely and utterly outcoached in the fourth? He struggled to see out games. More often than not, that team got over the line by luck rather than, you know, anything. I think as long as you can maintain control on your play calling for the vast majority of the game, you're going to put yourself in a good position to win. And that first half, allowed us to, you know, with 22 zip up, you can maybe, you know, work out some of the kinks in there, right? You know, I've, someone mentioned in the chat, um, where am I going now, about, yeah, it's John Ball, he says, yeah, um, we abandoned the run, the run is the bread and butter, yeah, we got the slowest spots in the games, but I suppose if you go into a situation where all game, you're running first, you're passing next, that'll get found out eventually. I think there maybe probably are some areas where you do have to try and mix it up, pass it a bit more, confuse the team. I'm, I'm guessing that's how they might look at it and might see it. So, again, I'm not overtly concerned. If we're ahead, we're scoring points, and we're keeping the scoreboard moving, then you can afford the lulls. We can't afford the lulls in the past because we could never keep the scoreboard moving. It had to be touchdown or bust. This one, 
we didn't have to worry about. So let's just say we're happy for now and we'll keep an eye on it. Obviously, there's a lot that can happen in the meanwhile. We'll we'll see. And Single Dice Club did confirm that's what he was on about. Yeah, third quarter, we let it up. But the most important thing is we got back into it and stopped the momentum. We hadn't seen that before. So let's look at those positives as opposed to maybe the coaching for now. Let's, that, that's a really big step for this team. So we'll see how it does. be interesting to see how it gets on on the road. Someone's... Um, Someone has put in the comments as well, they're interested to see how we do without the crowd, because the crowd has been vociferous, it's been loud, it has been on side for the first time in, in some time, so that's been wonderful to see in terms of the atmosphere there, but I keep asking you a question, I've got back to it, for me this game has reinforced that we can win a lot of games this season, 7, 8, 9, like you said earlier, right? this is the first game on the schedule which I guess we would classify as winnable, and we won, really, at a canter, apart from a little bit of that in the third. We were always two scores or more in front, and we've demolished, uh, who are, what you said, are a decent side. When you look, when you've got the Jets coming, the Giants coming, the Seahawks coming, all that, they're no gimmies. There are no gimmies in this league at all. They're all tough fixtures, but I've seen now that we, when we're playing well, can beat sides like them, so we can beat a lot of teams in this division, in the league now and I think going forward this could this could be our moment here we'll look back on this like we did the Vikings game last year as a turning point when this team stepped up to the next level I love reading the chat on days like this when it's on victory Monday everybody's so happy grandizers in there getting all the chants going getting everyone pumped up he goes let's go Lions let's go get pumped one pride Joseph Austin's in with us he says, hey guys, go Lions, here's Johnny, yeah, go Lions. I just love seeing all this positive energy going forward. It's just so nice to see it instead of talking about a heroic defeat and just coming up short and bits like that. Um, so that's sort of the game in large we've talked about there. I guess the one thing we haven't talked about this week, which has been really, really, really nice, is the referees. The referees didn't want to make themselves the centre of attention in this one. They seemed alright on both sides. I know they had a few fouls there. The only questionable point of note which I want to bring up though, that dirty late hit on Bobby Price where he's kneeled in the end zone, hits him in the back, shoulder first, could have caused him serious injury. I hope to damn that's been referred to the league because that should not have been allowed to slide and really sort of put a, put a bad, bad shine on a Decent refereeing performance, other than that. Yeah, they they let everything go. They let them play. Like I say, the defensive backs, the receivers, they were handsy. Like I say, they were tough. <laughs> like I say, the defences in the trench, you let everything go. Like I say, I tweeted, like I say, that Gronk got suspended for doing the exact same thing to, to Tredavious White. Like I say, he shot him when the player was dead to the back of the helmet with his shoulder. He was totally defenceless. This ticks all the boxes for a suspension. It should be reviewed. Do I think they will? No. I genuinely think they'll overlook this. Even though the play was dead and he was defenceless, I reckon it'll be something they'll overlooked. But on the day, the officials were pretty good. They were fair, even both ways. I would have liked to seen that flagged. It should have been flagged as an unnecessary roughness. Ultimately, it didn't cost us in the end, and Bobby didn't get hurt. So that, that, that's the key thing. But yeah, it's something you could look at. There was a lot of antics this weekend, a lot going on. They're going to be busy referring stuff. We've already seen Mike Evans suspended. I expect there's going to be a lot more 
stuff and scuffles yeah. as well. So yeah, but no, compared to last week, it was good that we weren't fighting the commanders and the officials too. Makes things easier. So we'll see if it's like this next week. I've got to the end. I was about to say we got to the end of the game. I'm like, I've not mentioned the rest once. I don't think this is nice. I like this. Good on them. Like I said, they let the teams play, it flowed, would have liked the flag on that one, but hey-ho. Joseph goes, can you imagine if Walker had done that cheap shot before? Yeah, I can. He'd have been flagged and ejected, but hey-ho. These are the things we have to deal with as uh, as Detroit Lions fans. Right, so we've talked about the game on the whole and what we think going forward, but let's break down into this game a bit more, the positional groups I want to talk about. And the first one we really have to give kudos to is the offensive line now coming into the last week it was banged up it was injured washington fans like oh you're missing all your best players you're not going to be able to protect golf that old line's going to be trash yada 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 water off the ducks back at this point we know how good hank fraley is so no jonah jackson no frank rag now obviously big v's had back surgery which is pretty much ended his season so the starting offensive line taylor decker left tackle dan skipper at left guard. Who the hell saw that one coming? Evan Brown at centre. Logan Stenberg at right guard. Panay Sewell at right tackle. And just bear in mind, Washington put 30 pressures on Jacksonville last week. 30. And Jacksonville's line, I believe, was healthy to the point that it can be. They've got Brandon Scherf in there, one of the best guards in the league. Cam Robinson's decent at left tackle. You know, they've, they've invested some money in it. So, 30 pressures they gave up. Do you know how much this Lions offensive line with a completely new interior gave up in this one? 12. 12 pressures the entire game. There was two sacks, six quarterback hits, and four quarterback hurries. So actually less hurries than quarterback hits. Well, not great for golf. In the grand scheme of things, it just shows how little pressure they got on him. Now, the majority of these came from Logan Stenberg and Dan Skipper. So Logan Stenberg gave up a sack three quarterback hits and two hurries. Half of the pressures were on him. Dan Skipper gave up a sack and two hurries, so there were three on him. TJ Hawkinson gave up a quarterback hit. Penay Sewell gave up one quarterback hit, as did Taylor Decker. But apart from that, no sacks, no pressures from any of those guys. I mean, you know, Skipper's playing his first ever game at left guard. Stenberg's only starting his second game at right guard. There are going to be teething troubles, but in pass pro, they were okay. In the run game, this is absolutely unbelievable stuff. We lead the league in terms of our running backs go for 3.8 yards per carry before they're contacted. Before someone even touches them, before someone brushes the hair, they're nearly four yards down the pitch. We're running it at over seven and a half yards per clip. You know, it just looks so crisp and clean and beautiful. It's like poetry in motion. I've seen guys on Twitter today putting up videos where they've all been analysing it. And it's just, it's a thing of pure beauty. And for Hank Fraley to be able to install Skipper at left guard, this is his first start in the NFL. He's never played there before. He looked like a born natural. Logan Stenberg struggled in pass pro. I'll give him that. He has struggled. But in the run game, he's looked absolutely perfect really going forward here I mean that interior is all new guys in there and we know what Evan Brown can do but obviously he didn't start last week he's been back in the backup position comes in Evan Brown didn't give up a single pressure all day against this Washington defensive line just how big of a juggernaut is this offensive line even missing its starters 
you know, Washington did a good job. Like I said, they went after where they thought we were weak. Like I said, they went, through, they, they tried to go through the middle, didn't they? Like mm. I said, and that's where they, they got the hits. And a good team tries to exploit what it thinks is a weakness of a bad team. But Hank Fraley has made a scheme that is so simple, he can teach anyone it. Like I said, literally, it's, he's made a scheme that is literally plug and play. Like I said, I'm going to give this, and you, when you see this, you do Y, you do this, you see, you do Z. And they broke it down that Dan Skipper, like a veteran, like I said, he was that big that you worried people in Terry would get through him, would get under him, would manoeuvre him, because he's so big. He's not ideal for the guard position, but very early on in the game, like I said, he picks up uh, a blitzer, he shifts his guy, he bends, he scoots his back out of the way, and Swift takes off 50 yards. Like I said, the player designed that he went from left to right, and he made the hole behind him, and if he doesn't make that block, it gets blown up. It happens because, like I say, he creates a big gaping hole on his backside, and that was just the start. And then he's chasing downfield. Like I say, he was excited. There was no nerves. There was no twitches. The one thing I was worried about was false starts. I was worried about penalties before the line was getting going. None of that. Not a single penalty on the offensive line all day. And that's three interior guys that have never played together before. Like I said, and it, it was a testament to how well the offence run and how well we prepare guys as well in practice during the week. Dan Skipper didn't know he was playing probably until like 20 hours before the game until they have to rule Jonah out and he didn't panic. He didn't think, he didn't overthink it knowing this is his big chance to possibly be activated to 53 to the rest of the season. And Stenberg, you say, yeah, he struggled. He had a rough start last week, back-to-back -back uh, penalties. This week, none of that. Like I say, it was like he was a different guy because the nerves had just all dissipated last week. And together, the offensive line used as one. They created big holes for Jamal Williams and Reynolds to go through on like second and third down. There was big seven to ten yard chunk players. And yeah, it was. it's just a testament to the depth we've got. Like I say, I expect at least one of them is probably going to play next week. I'm not holding my breath that everyone will be back, but I totally feel fine with it now. Like I said, and then to hand basically the match ball to Skipper, to give him the limelight at the end of the game. He he wasn't comfortable with it. You can tell he's not used to being in the spotlight. He's not a talker. Like I say, he doesn't portray it. He's very emotional. Like I said, I think that is probably what most people have taken from this game, just how much it meant to him. And how hard he's had to work for such little, just people knowing who he is, everything he's put in, he's had no real impact up until right now. Like I say, he's bounced around from practice squad, he's been cut like six times, six teams, 20 part-time deals ripped up and finally gets to start a game and he's one of the unsung heroes on the day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got to, I have to stand up here and say, Dan Skipper, my fellow Chrome Dome, I apologise. I have a lot of times said, what on earth does this team see in him and Nelson, for that part? Him, Nelson and Paolo have been very critical of. I'm not sure what they've seen in him, what they're bringing back, but obviously they've seen something. And I realise at this point it's kind of a bit, 
hypocritical of my stance on Logan Stenberg because I backed him fervently for two years whilst the Lions have developed him. They saw something in Logan that was worth persevering with and you're seeing what it is now. That run game especially, his, his, his run blocking is tremendous. That's what they spent years developing and they've still got some way to go with his pass protection but still, they're developing into a guy who's a very capable backup who can come into this team and contribute. If I think that about Hank with Logan, I should think that about Hank with everyone he keeps around here. With Matt, with Dan, with Darren. Obviously, he needs time to get them working right and to find a scheme fit for them. And I should just trust him. So, you know, with these guys now, he's got my backing. I've seen what Dan can do. Said on the tweet, I'm like, right, stand up. Show why this team believes in you. Show this team you can contribute. He did. Logan did, Evan did, a lot of them did, and I was really, really proud of them here. And even without our top three guys, this still looks like a top ten offensive line in the NFL. And we're missing three of our stars on there. It's just, you know, just let's just say to Hank Fraley, you know, we, we've got to give him some love. I mean, they need to lock him down long term here. They really, really do. I, th I feel like he's the most important coach on this team at the minute in terms of what he's doing. Because the running game is our bread and butter and we need it to operate and... This doesn't work without him and his ability to develop offensive linemen to fit the scheme we need. I mean, we go through so many offensive linemen. What positional coach has as much upheaval as he does? Mm. Like I say, he has not been able to field his bullish ball line for the majority of his time here. He has not been able to play every guy he wants and feel that it's the strongest on paper. He's always chopping and changing, so he's got to keep guys ready at the drop of a hat. They've got to be ready to go in. They've got to know what they're doing. And that comes from him. And keeping him here next season is going to be really hard. This is going to be a hard... He is going to get offers and someone might turn his head. So, uh, I, it's going to be difficult. Like you say, we need a good season and then they need to sit down and hopefully try to figure out some way to keep him around. And because there were people sniffing you see this performance and you think that's the kind of guy that there's teams out there that have got shoddy O-lines and they could use a guy like Hank Fraley to come in and whip him into shape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's going to be very sought after and I hope we really do keep him here. I just, I love the job he's done. I love the guy. You saw how much tough love he's given to Eze in Hard Knocks. It's not like he's a very laid back. He's like, well, look, I'll be your friend, but you've got to work for me. You know, there's that two-way respect there between player and coach, and he seems to have nailed it bang on. So, well done to the offensive line. Well done to Hank Fraley. Tremendous job you did there. And, I mean, we can't talk about the run game and the offensive line without not mentioning the running backs. DeAndre Swift, I mean, well... Jamal Williams starters off. He's he's four and a half yards per clip. He went yesterday. Reynolds came in, was running over five yards per clip when we needed him to. A couple of clutch runs when we were resting the guys. You know, the offensive line can play as well as it wants. The running backs still have to do their job, which they did. But I mean, DeAndre Swift, man. I mean, five carries. I mean, I mean, even it was there was a lot of receiving in this one in terms of him. Just there was a little bit of everything there. Two receptions, thirty-one yards, and a touchdown. On in receiving five carries, 56 yards on the ground. You know, the, he's the top five running back in this league, isn't he? I think he is. And I think now that he's showing, you know, the mentality that he's shown, he was questioned over whether he could play through injury and commitment there. He didn't practice all last week. 
despite telling us he was fine, the ankle was rolled, he was going to play. I know, I know he was on, he was probably on account for this one, which may be why we didn't see him as much, but he played through injury. He did what we wanted him to. He is making guys miss in the field. He's not making bad decisions in terms of where he wants to run. Every time he seems to run the ball, he's winning his one-on-ones against the secondary who are coming up to try and stop him. Making clever decisions, getting lots of yardage, he's been physical, grinding out the extra yards. All those things that Juice Staley was having a go at him for on hard knocks during the takes where we all thought it was a lot of tough love and that. That all seems to be translating through into DeAndre Swift's game. We seem to be seeing that with him now. And when you unlock that potential, he is a top five running back in this league, is he not? Yeah. I'd say he may be the most versatile i say he may be the number one if you look at if you what can do receiving and what can do rushing. Right now, as of this point, he's head and shoulders above everyone. i say the he's just one of those guys, you don't know what he's going to do. He's lined up in the backfield, but you don't know if he's a runner, a blocker, a receiver. Like i say we don't do anything to give it away. We've managed to now get into a point where it doesn't, it's not obvious. We're not an obvious offense. We used to be so telegraphed where you could blow up the play before it even happened. But like I say, we're now doing motions as well. We're now moving guys around, which creates a bit of confusion. And then by the time gets ball, Swift gets it. The play's already over. Like I say, it's too late for the defense. They've not had time to react. And it's been a, a renaissance, like I say. We've had two years of him. Like I say, he's had the injuries where we've seen good and we've seen him not used well. And we were thinking, are they going to run him into the ground? Are they going to break him? Is he going to be able to withstand what we're going to ask of him? Can he do everything we're going to throw at him? And right now, as of this guy, he looks like Swift 2.0. He's taken everything on board. He's then gone away. He's worked out in the gym. Like I say, he's done that off his own back. He's obviously practised. His feet have got better. His hands as well. Like you say, he used to want to look upfield before he secured the ball and he'd have those lapsidaisical drops because he was thinking about what he was going to do next. He's now slowed that down. Everything's just slower. It's smoother. And then he's got that home run ability. Like I say, guys are now struggling to catch him when he's trying to finish off because he's looking for the pylon. And he's already had, what, games with back-to-back 50-yard rushes and no one's done that since 1997, the legendary Barry Sanders. People are now comparing him to, like, say, Billy Sims and Barry Sanders, and it doesn't come much bigger praise. Like I say, he's got a very similar style, the small, low centre of gravity, making guys miss in the open field. And we keep him fit, and we keep feeding him. That's the, that's the key thing now, like I say, just keep feeding him. Like I say, until he can't handle it, until he says it's too many touches, I'm burning him out. Just keep giving him the ball. Just keep giving him responsibility. And while he's riding on the crest of a wave, he's going to deliver you a top five rushing yard season. He's going to finish in the top five of rushing yards this season. I can just see it. He's going to get. He's going to get himself a payday. People say don't pay running backs. It's not a good position to pay running backs. It always goes bad. Or it's a bad idea, but so. Someone is going to end up paying Swift because right now, towards the latter end of his rookie contract, he is coming together and he's finally showing that he is well worthy of being in discussion of those the big 
the big guys now. Well, that's going to be an interesting conversation that's going to start getting louder as we go along the contract situation with DeAndre Swift. But for now, obviously, there are still injury issues that he has to he has to show he can stay healthy for a long time because he's carrying injuries already at the minute in week two. So there's a lot to see, but there's a lot to love as well. And the way he's answered his critics has been amazing. Um, KDV1991 is in the Twitch chat. He goes, that touchdown by Swift had me falling off the sofa in disbelief. And um, in the YouTube chat, I've just seen it somewhere. Where was it? Has it already gone up there? This chat is going quick today. Um, there was mention about how there was almost same old Lions moments in this game where the team lapsed into its bad habits. And when we mentioned this a bit already, but when you needed a playmaker to stand up and win this game for Detroit, that DeAndre Swift touchdown was it at a time when we looked bereft and we were struggling for a bit of inspiration as we were. Amon Ra stepped up, got the run. DeAndre got that catch. Three guys missed in the end zone. Takes a whole load of pressure off you there. And he believes he's one of the best in this game. Deuce Staley believes he's one of the best running backs in this game. That is what the best players in this game do. They stand up and make clutch plays for their team when they most need them to. And DeAndre did that this week. So again, just like the offensive line, crediting DeAndre Swift massively in this one. He stood up when we needed him. And he put this team on his back and did a lot of the work, just like Amon Ra did. And to talk about the young studs when we end this. But um, it was great to see there. Now, we've talked about the offensive line. We've given that love. You wouldn't need to go to the other side of the ball here and talk about the defence, and specifically the defensive line, because, again, as you know, for so many years in Detroit, we've not had a pass rush. The defensive line has not been great. We have traditionally struggled um, in this area of the game. And against Philly, we got 19 pressures in the game, just one sack. You kind of saw the makings of a good defensive line here. You saw the interior, the guys were getting a bit of success on the edge. The guys were getting success, but they weren't turning it into production. And we just said, if you can get those pressures, if you can turn them into production, then this is going to be a hell of a unit. What did we see in this game? The defensive line came out fighting and they made production like it was no man's business. We already mentioned the strip sack by Charles Harris and Aiden Hutchinson to get the safety in the back of the end zone. We've not seen a, that stuff like that in forever, but all across the defensive line, you had production here. John Kaminsky, the guy who we bought in on waivers, seven pressures in this game. He had one sack. He had six quarterback hurries. Julian Aquara coming in in relief late in the game. Five pressures, one quarterback hit, four hurries. I think Ash put up a stat earlier that he had a 38% win rate on his pass rushes, which is the highest in the NFL. Aiden Hutchinson, six pressures, three sacks, three hurries. Part of the team that strip sack Carson Wentz there. Charles Harris, a sack, a quarterback hit, a pressure. You know, three there for him. In this game... 31 pressures, 31 pressures in this game. We said that Charles Leno and um, Sam Cosme are a below average pair of tackles in this league and we needed to abuse them in this game and the interior wasn't great either. Chase Rulier, the centre, he couldn't handle it. He went out injured, he got outpowered. 31 pressures, lots of sacks, lots of hits. This defensive line was a big part of why we won this game. What a wonderful thing to see. 
I think it was probably the overriding factor. I think ultimately it wore them down. Wentz became very frustrated. Like I say, guys were going through untouched. I think that's probably what frustrated him most. Like I say, we didn't even have to pull out an Arsenal. You didn't see a spin move. You didn't see much. Like I say, you just saw the old swim. You saw the old arm pull and drag. But we were just counting the snap and just going. Like I say, we were just winning around the edge with agility, speed and ferocity. And we didn't even have to try go through the middle half the time. And if we overshot it, like we did sometimes, like Hutch, like I say, what he wasn't doing last week, he, was, he wasn't coming back and getting himself back into the play. This week, he did overshoot, but then he found his way back and he pursued Wentz and brought him down. And one of the sacks, like you say, he goes all the way around the back. The tackle tries to like just feed him round, but nope, he comes back, he gets a second wind, and he stuffs Wentz, who's trying to escape. And that was probably the best thing we saw, that we were not letting him get away like we were last week. Wentz is not hurts, but if you overshoot, if you take the bad angle, if you open that hole, Wentz will punish you with his feet. And we did not give him the opportunity to do that. It was relentless. Like you say, we sent Malcolm. We had Anzalone. We sent linebacker blitzes. We had Deshaun Elliott going like three blitzes. He almost got a sack. Like you say, he hit Wentz in the face hard on one of his throws on a safety blitz. We were just dialing up pressures from all over. This team going to a four-man front. I can't believe how long overdue that is. How many times have we seen a weak three-man front in Detroit last few years not generating pressure, not having a base package that is able to affect the pocket and just trying to just hang in there and ask a secondary to do too much? No, th- th- this is a different defense right now. This is looking to generate pressure and it forces turnovers. Like I said, we came in it like an exception intercepted a two-point conversion because rushes, throws were rushed because they were worried about defenders getting in their face. So if we keep rushing the passer this year, we will get a lot more interceptions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's not just the starting group in there either. It's it's the backups. I mean, not all of them played in this game, but you see how Hutch and Harris and Julian are playing. I mean, Austin Bryant played well at the end of last season he's had a really good camp he played well in week one in fairness now Julian got the nod over him this week maybe it's a scheme thing who knows but Julian knows he's on the clock he knows that his spot is under threat if he doesn't perform and to come in five pressures highest pass rush win rate in the league I I see I feel like it's forcing competition out of them these guys know that no longer are the backups just there as like doormats who are going to sit there and do nothing and they can do what they like these guys have to perform like I think the commish in the center Isaiah Bugs I was really worried about Bugs when we got him because his missed tackle rating over his career is huge I mean you think Anzalone's is bad his is worse than that but those two they're getting pushed they know that Pascal's return is coming soon. They know that Levi's return will be coming soon. They know they've got Demetrius Taylor waiting in the wings. I mean, Demetrius can't see the field, and he was one of the most impressive guys in the preseason and all throughout camp. He can't get in this team because it feels like the players who are out there know that their jobs are not safe, and it's one bad game, they're out, someone else is coming in, and I feel like it's raising the collective play of the mall. Do you get that impression as well? Oh, yeah. But 
Brockers. Brockers an example. When Brockers came in, we knew that he was going to be... Uh, he was going to hold a place until someone came and took it from him. Like you say, he is no spring chicken, but he, just, he won't just give you his place. He won't just say, well, I've done my job here now. Here you go, kid. Here's your chance. Like I said, he wants to be out there. Like I say, he's still in good money. Like I say, he's still fit. He can still do the job. But like I said, Bugs kept him out. Like I said, Bugs had two assisted tackles, two solo. And uh, Brockers came in for some relief, only finished a half tackle, saw very few snaps throughout the game. And that is because he's getting outperformed. Like I say, players younger than him have got a better engine. Like I say, they can go longer, they can go harder, they can go faster. And he's turning into that relief package. He knows his days here are numbered. But that's not because, like I said, we're just going to ax him. That's just because he is holding down a place until someone takes it from him. And right now, these next few weeks, he may struggle to see the field at all. Like I said, we're waiting to see who comes first out of Pascal or Levi. Demetrius Taylor is going to be active within the next week or two at some point. Like he got Bugs playing well. Kaminsky, he can line up inside. He can cause problems. He can win through the middle. There is an endless supply right now of players just biting at the ankles. Well, I mean, you know, this as, 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 as good as it is, all this depth here, it's great for you. It causes problems for certain players. Now, there's people in the chat here, both Twitch and YouTube, talking about Levi. I mean, Levi's injury worries and whatnot are a big concern. I mean... I kind of feel like if this carries on, the defensive line plays well in his absence, these guys come back and play well, maybe there's a situation with Levi where we can almost redshirt him, maybe not redshirt him, but we can take all the time in the world we need with him to bring him back. We don't have to rush him back, we just let him heal, and then if he's ready this season, he's ready. If not, make him fight it out in camp next year, and if he's not good enough, then move on, but... I think it kind of makes it easier in the Levi situation. These guys balling out it means we don't have to rush him back and risk injuring him again. Oh yeah, if we were in a position where we were like, oh, we really need Levi back. We're struggling. Like I said, there's the moment he's healthier, gives us the knowledge 100 percent we put him back in. No, that would be the worst place to be in because, like I say, you just would end up setting him back further. If he comes back in, let's say four weeks, and he's like say he's ready to go, see some snaps. Will he see the field? Not a chance, no. Not until he's earned it. Like I say, not until someone is struggling or someone is not holding their weight or someone is missing tackles. Like I said, just because he's a second round pick, even when he gets back to fitness, doesn't mean he can just walk in. And right now, I agree that he is not going to play much of a role this year, even when he gets back. If people keep playing the way he is, it's a, and then next year, he will have to earn that spot back in camp. And that's probably, long-term, the best way this plays out of him. Same as Pascal. When Pascal eventually gets back, if he does, if he shakes the bug off, it's back to being a rookie. It's back to winning job back in camp and back to the grind. Because right now, we don't... We want them back, but we don't need them on the field as of right now. No. And the other one this spells trouble for, potentially, is Brockers. Brockers is the vet in the room. He's there for his veteran presence, his leadership. But if he ain't performing like these young guys are, is, do you think there's a chance we could expedite his departure here? Maybe look for a trade partner or 
cut and take the dead. I mean, we'd do that next year anyhow, but doing it now saves us the money next year. Could, could you foresee a scenario where we expedite Brockers' exit out of Detroit? Yeah, I can see us trading him for the deadline. You're only going to get a conditional seventh, probably at best, because I'd say you're taking on the we're eating dead cap, you're taking on some cap, and his, his age is a rotational player, so it's going to be someone that's maybe a contender that's a bit weak or a bit desperate at the line that'll just throw a conditional to try and plug in a gap. But yeah, like I say, we've restructured the contract now. So we've gone from like two to four million next year. Still not a lot, like I say. If we have to cut ties, if he asks us to release him and say, look, I think I've done my job here. I'll say, I'll shake his hand and say, thanks for everything. On you go. Like I say, go. If you want to go try a ring, win a ring, do it. So yeah, his days are numbered. If you see he's out the season, I don't think he'll be in next year, but at least we'll leave on good terms, whatever happens. I think so. I think, you know, he is a placeholder here. It's like Anzalone, I think he's here until the guys are ready to develop. And if those guys on the defensive line carry on playing like they have this, this week, then, like you say, maybe Brockers has served his purpose. He's come in when we've been short at DT. He certainly did a lot better than <clears throat> Nick did last year. And, you know, the job done. We move on to a younger player who costs us less and, you know, Good for the cap, good for us, and he can go off chase a ring. Like you say, if it's just a seventh, great. But I think it's a very, uh, I think it's a very, I think it's a conversation you've got to have. Certainly, um, I see everyone in the chat talking about a new name for the Commanders. It's the Commodores. They are the Commodores, just without Lionel Richie. They look flashy, but they lap bite now. The league guy's gone. They're no good no more. That is what they are. The Commodores. Um, Right, so other position groups I wanted to mention, because we've done both lines there. I mean, we've got to talk about the secondary as well, I guess. I mean, the secondary for once, especially in that first half, they locked tight. They were really good. Wentz made some errant throws, but there were pass breakups. There was, you know, aggression at the line, battling against the receivers. We said they needed to battle hard against the receivers this week. Get up to the line, put pressure on them, stop them running the routes, make them uncomfortable. And that's exactly what we saw in the first half this week. An uncomfortable set of receivers who were really good, but they had no chance whatsoever. No, I was really impressed. Like it's uh, Harris gave up a few receptions, but he didn't let anyone get in behind him. He kept tackles for short. Like I say, he gave maybe six, seven yards up at a time. He was stopping them getting to the sticks. He was wrapping up. He was finishing his players. Or he was just making Wentz look his way or go somewhere else. Like I say, he had a really solid game. And when he came up in run support, he made some big stops at the line. Like I said, he, he had like one or two tackles for no loss. They tried to come around the edge. He crashed down. He set the edge. And he was making some big tackles. He was shedding blocks of receivers. And he tackled Antonio Gibson at least two or three times. He almost got a tackle for a loss. He was really good at coming down and setting the edge and helping the line. And Jeff, Jeff proved again he's the best tackler on his defense. Like I said, he gave up very minimal. Like I said, he put a blanket on McLaren for entirety of the game and then anything that came his way he just killed it there and then hits like a truck like I say all technique he is not scared at all of putting his body on the line to make a strong tackle and after two weeks he is looking great like I say 
cramping up because he's taking a lot of snaps. Like I said, they're not easing him with snap count. He comes out when he tells him, massaged his leg, came back in to finish the game. But that's because, like I said, he wanted to see out what he started. And it looks like he's trending in every right direction, doing really well. Juju Hughes had two massive tackles on punts and kickoffs. Special yeah. teams, I think he was the best special team on the day. He was fantastic. Second, uh, second to Cephas. Yeah, those two, really good. And like I say, Deshaun Elliott almost got a sack. Like I say, blitzing off the edge, giving Wentz a massive headache, does really well off the edge. Solid, had a good PFF grade. Tackling as well, really solid tackler. Mm-hmm. Tracy Walker, felt like Tracy had a quiet day. That's because nothing got to him. He's on the last line of defence and the commanders were just not threatening that part of the field. Just solid. So, if our secondary plays like that for a good half of this year, I think we can win plenty of games because, like I said, they are earning their respect and they're changing people's opinions. What used to be a really leaky problem, like I said, they they were a nuisance and they were costing us games, but so far... They're holding their own through two weeks against two strong offences. Don't get any easier. There's no breath. Like I say, look, Justin Jefferson's coming to town next week, and I can't wait to see what Jeff Okuda play against him because I feel like this is a really good test for him. This is a measuring stick for him. Everybody is standing up on this team, I think it is fair to say. Jordy Manchin's just said it in the chat, everyone's stepping up. And people in the chat are just listing names. Skipper, Evans, Stenberg, Akuda, everyone, Swift, everyone who's having questions asked of them is answering them on the field. You mentioned the secondary there. I mean, they've been poor for a while, but look at the guys here. Will Harris was the highest graded in the secondary, so seven tackles, two assisted tackles, three stops, on receiving, targeted six times, just three receptions given up. Now, he did give a touchdown down on one, but 50% on your targets on six, really good. I mean, Jeff Akuda targeted five times, gives up three receptions, but just for 31 yards, no touchdowns. He's got five tackles, three stops, like you say, up at the line, against the run game, making plays in there. Um, I mean, Deshaun Elliott... Deshaun Elliott did well as well. He got targeted three times, gave up three receptions, but only 40 yards. I know it sounds to say only, but we're not giving up massive chunk plays here. The only one who really struggled was Mike Hughes. He got targeted 10 times and gave up nine receptions for 104 yards. But, I mean, he's new to the team. He's learning his way in. They, they did well there. And you can even talk nice about the linebackers in this one. I'll finish with the linebackers. So, Chris Board, he graded top of everybody. Um... Only had 16 snaps, but still came in, did his job. Malcolm Rodriguez, I just, you know, fall more in love with the guy every week. He had a quarterback hit, six tackles, three assisted tackles, four stops, just one missed tackle. So everyone's saying, oh, he's too small, his arm span's too weak, he's going to miss at this level. Well, 13 tackles, one missed. That's pretty good record in this league. Gave up three on four of receptions and was responsible for a touchdown. But again, in the grand scheme of things, round six rookie, second game. Those are really amazing stats in there. Even Anzalone had a good game. Five tackles, two assisted tackles, three stops. Just 17 yards given up on three catches, targeted four times. I mean, I think it's just fair to say everybody pulled their weight. And yes, we gave up a few big chunk plays, but they were few and far between. And for the most part, the defense, aggressive, you know, playing to its strengths. 
and everybody and everybody stepped up and played their part. Yeah. I say everything they gave up was minimal. Tackling was great. I say they did not break many tackles. There was no very few missed. There was not many plays that were extended because they were breaking through. There were no one flapping arms at people. Malcolm Rodriguez, of course Logan Thomas was going to beat him. That's a terrible matchup. I say they schemed that. They put Logan Thomas on him for a reason. And he has got a good chance of beating Malcolm nine times out of ten. He's long, he's rangy, and that's where he struggles. But the bread the bread and butter is the run support. Like I say, there's that photo where he's basically lying over Wentz because he's just drilled him. Wentz is basically face down in turf. Like I say, he is so good in the middle. He's so tough. He fills the correct gaps when he's needed to. And he's always like a postman he always delivers he's always on time he reads the ball well and he just flows everything flowed to the bottom Sunday everyone worked as one and in the end gave up a lot of receptions but for very minimal damage yeah agreed um, see I can see a question in the comment he goes when was the last time we were 500 it was October 25th 2020 under Patricia we were three, three and one, I believe, when we had all those hopes at the start of that season, and then we lost every game till the end of the season. After that, I thought it was further back, but it wasn't. So it's been two years since we've been plus five hundred during the season. So hey, we'll take it. We'll take what we can get. Um, so we've talked about the game. We've talked about the players. There are a few issues arising that have come out of this game that I kind of want to finish off off before people can ask us questions if there's anything else they want us to answer today but Derek Barnes is one there's been a lot of chatter about Derek Barnes he's gone down to special teams duty at the minute obviously there was a lot of hype around him last season I myself I think he's going to be a really great player for the Detroit Lions here but people are concerned about the snap usage I want to get your view on this in a minute but for me it's not great that he's not playing but the way I see this team develop its talent Logan Stenberg has taken two years to get to this team. When he was first drafted, I remember wanting to play him, but they said, no, there's a lot to work on. He had a lot of technical issues to work on. He had behavioral issues to work on, a bit of it too aggressive, all that, etc., etc. Two years later, you're starting to see the finished product. He's looking really good. Um, Pass Pro needs help, but we can insert him into the team and he can play well. Kirby Joseph... A lot was said about Joseph during the draft. Always oh, a third round pick. Are we going to see him early because we've got no safeties in here? The team know he's not ready. There is a lot of development he needs in this game before he's taking serious first team snaps for this side. And he's not playing. Despite the lack of depth at safety, they are holding fire. They're developing him. If the Detroit Lions staff feel that Derek Barnes is in a position where I think we've maybe exposed him to the first team too early. Linebackers we struggled with last year. We kind of almost had to put him in the team for sake of it, if they've decided that he's not ready just yet and he needs to spend some time refining his game, doing special teams, just grafting hard before bringing him back up again, I'm okay with that. I don't think we should write him off. I don't think we should critique him just yet. I think we should support him and the team's decision to do this. Obviously, I could be talking balderdash here, but I think that's what's going on here, and I don't mind if he takes a bit of time away and comes back a better player. But I don't know. How do you feel about him, Ryan? Obviously, Malcolm Rodriguez has come in and set such a standard for linebackers here, but his coaches have said that up here, 
he's miles ahead of everybody, even rookies. So that might explain why he's developing quicker. All players, whoever they are, take a different time, different length of time to develop. And Barnes might just be a little bit longer. I don't know. What do you feel about this? I feel like Barnes belongs in the practice squad, but he wouldn't have cleared waivers. I don't think we could have kept him. I feel like we have to keep him on 53 or you risk losing him. Like I say, he's got talent. Like I say, he's pass coverage. He's got pursuit. He's got hands. He's got speed. He reads defences. He's got a lot going for him. Is he ready yet? No, absolutely not. Like I say, he's by nowhere near the finished project. Like I say, is the linebacker room... Well, on paper, we thought it was weak. It's looked pretty... It was one of our strengths this weekend. But, yeah, currently right now, there's no place for him. And that's not a knock against him. That's like guys like Bard playing really well. Rodriguez doing well. Anzalone is the veteran presence. And players like it. Like I say, he's someone that just is reliable. So they're not... It would be a risk to put him in and expose him because if you put him on the field, he's going to get targeted. Like I say, and you don't want to bring him in for a player and he gives up a big 45-yard reception and then bench him again. That would just be detrimental to his, uh, his thing. So special teams is never a bad place to learn. It's pretty much where Chris Bard learned to play linebacker. Mm. The, the Ravens put him there and he, he excelled so I agree having him active on the game days like I said because they want him on special teams because they feel like he can make an impact there but he's he's probably got another year of learning before they even try and unleash him I don't think we'll see the very best of him until 2023 yeah. that season so this is going to be another growing season but expectations of him aren't super high. No one's expecting him to make the transition to superstar in year two after having a bit part rookie year. So it's just, it's a total fluke that Malcolm has come in and has been as good as the way he is. Most times you go into sixth round, it's a total swing and a miss. You shut your eyes, you throw a dart at the board. If it works, you're like a genius. If you don't, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So yeah, like them two cannot be compared and what's happening with their scenarios can't be compared either. No, no. I don't, like I say, it's you as a coach's job to realise when a player's going to be ready to get in the first team. They've decided, they've seen what Rodriguez has done and they've realised he's ready for the responsibility now. If they've realised that Barnes ain't ready yet and they made a mistake and they're pulling him out the firing line, then do it. Don't wreck his confidence. You've seen so many players, young ones, who have their confidence wrecked by being in a bad system, by being exposed and... If that's what it's going to take, then great. You know, I, I'm disappointed I can't see Barnes now because I know how good he is and just what he can do. But if they can refine him and get him ready, that's fine. I've seen what they've done with Logan. Logan, like you said, last week struggled, but he had the mental fortitude to get through it because he's been trained properly. This week, again, struggled on a few plays. But you see how much that O-line loves him, the work he brings, the effort he brings. It's what you get from spending time developing getting a rapport with your teammates, just learning it properly, working your way in. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that uh, things work out there for Barnes. Um, the other... Oh, um, John Ball raises a good point, actually. He goes, our special teams has been overlooked. Let's have a little talk about special teams. Well, 
That's true. It has been overlooked. I mean, special teams was really good in this one. Jack Fox is Jack Fox. He's one of the best punters in the league here. The kicking sitch has been very good. I don't think anything too major has really been asked of them so far, but they've made the kicks they needed to. There have been no faux pas, no, no issues there. I mean, you saw the, the return run from Raymond yesterday. The return game seems to be getting going. I mean, that play was huge from him when the safety's given up. The pressure's on the commanders. The last thing they want is us running from the 17 to their 30, putting them under a defensive stand right again. We scored again. The pressure was there. The special teams did everything it needed to in this one, I feel. It was it was a good performance all round. But I think it probably has just got lost in translation because of how well the team as a whole really did. Yeah, and this team has been good on special teams for three, four years. I'd say... People worried when Braden Coombs, or I think that was his name, got fired for that blunder. And people thought special teams is going to hurt. People were like, uh, given the benefit of the doubt, we're one of the best special team units in the league. It's not really Mr. Like I say, we got rid of Sam Martin. And people were like, oh no, why won't we pay one of the league's best punters? What are we going to do now? Like This is going to hurt the special teams unit. We have overcome two lots of adversity. Like I say, we didn't pay Jamal Agnew. Like I said, people said that's a mistake. Like I said, he's not lighting the world up in Jacksonville, but he had that home run potential. But we've not missed a beat. Justin Jackson yesterday had a 40-yard return as well on one of special teams. Like I said, there was two big returns that had two big drives. And that's two guys out there that are fighting to stay on this roster. They, they know when they get the ball in their hands on special teams, they have to make something happen because... Where they are in their depth charts is not where they want to be. So they play like that. And then let's say two massive tackles from Juju Hughes. Quintus Cephas as well. They gave them poor starting position on three good drives. And Cyber, yep, we're kicking indoors. Like I say, you haven't missed no points. You haven't missed no field goals. See what it's like when he's outdoors. But so far, he beat Riley Patterson out. And so far, it looks like we kept the right man on the roster. We'll see what happens when we get into outdoor conditions, but so far, nothing has worried me. Like I said, no major penalties. Special teams have looked clean. Dave Fipp just doing a good job. Exactly. And you know what? The thing I love most about special teams, and I've been a real big griper of this for years um, with the Detroit Lions, there's too many people on special teams who are earning a living just doing special teams. They're taking up roster spots and they are not contributing to the team. They're not breaking through because special teams is meant to be your entrance into an NFL team. You're meant to start special teams, especially if you're a late round pick, work your ass off, get your starting spot, get into the team. That's your route from there. Too many of our guys, and I mean, think of them. Miles Killebrew, Sean Dion Hamilton, Anthony Pittman, CJ Moore. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. Great special teams guys, but in a roster where they've had loads of chances to make it through into the first team especially all the linebackers you know the safeties and all that they none of them have broken through into this team they've only been here for their special teams ability and me and matt have argued about this for years about how a team should be built like that i don't think your special teamers should just be there for special teams i think they should own something to the team going forward and you've seen how they've gutted it out look at the guys who are top 
of the list really on special teams this year. Quintez Cephas, he's a receiver working his way into this team. He is a first teamer when he's fit, healthy, playing. Brock Wright is in this first team. Malcolm Rodriguez, first team taking the world by storm. Barnes is in there. He's played a lot in the first team and he's still got the potential to be so. You know, you've got Craig Reynolds, first team. Or he's at least he's getting to the point where he's getting first team reps in there. Chris Board, starting linebacker in there, you know. All these, te- all these guys who are at the top of the special teams echelon now offer something to this team going forward. You can see the future of this team through them, not a bunch of guys who are just going to give you good special teams every year. For me, I don't know whether you disagree or not, but that is the thing I love most about how they've gutted it out of all these guys who have no future and given it to guys who do and offer something to both. End of day, the Lions are not a contender. We can't afford to pay guys who just play special teams. The New England Patriots, at their highest, had Matthew Slater, one of the greatest ever special teamers of all time. They give him money every year because, end of the day, they were one of the best teams in the league and they didn't care if he only played four snaps a game and earned $6 million a year. Like I said, because, but when you're a gritty side, when you're clamouring for wins and you're trying to get over that line, the people you pay... The people you have on your wage bill have got to be able to offer you something in every facet of the game. Elite special teamers are a luxury. And right now, we need people to be able to contribute in all assets. Like, say, Mike Ford, Mike Jackson, like, say, Andy Pittman, like, say, Miles Kilbrew, guys like this that were elite on kickoff. They could, they could down a punt at the 10-yard line. They could force a fumble on a returner but they'd go missing. You don't see them again for 90% of the game, and they're cashing 1.25 mil above their veteran cap. Like I say, you just don't fly anymore, like I say. Unless you've got oodles of money, or you've got an elite stacked roster where you can afford a 53 position to someone that just plays six snaps a game, that won't happen in Detroit anymore. Until we're a big boy, and we can afford to just have some guy go out there, just go fuck ship up on a kickoff. No. Kick off, run back down the other end because you're on defence. Like I said, and catch your breath while you're doing it in between. You can't catch your breath, sub you out. Like I said, you've got to be elite fitness. We are now going for fitness. Yeah, exactly. I fully agree. Ash's list of more off. D Virgin, Mike Ford, there's Michael Jackson, I guess, in there. Charles Washington. I don't even remember who Charles Washington is. Oh, God, that's bad for me. I feel like that's not in recent years. I don't remember that name. But, yeah. Running back? Oh, oh is it? I don't know. Who was Charles Washington? Who is Oh, no, linebacker. I, I think DeAndre Washington was the running back. But yeah. yeah. But, yeah, anyhow, point stands. Our special teams is full of guys who can contribute in the first team now, not just on special teams, and I love it. So, yeah, John, you're absolutely right. This special team has been great for us. Just want to say, just want to give a lot of love to all you guys who are in the chat this evening. The seal there, smash the like button. Everyone's getting involved, chatting. Just thank you ever so much this evening for joining us, especially... After joining us after that awful technical you know, hitch we had at the start, which we had to restart the stream again and everything. Appreciate you all. Crimson Shadows in. He goes, sup guys. Up to you. Good sir. Hope you are well. Um, the one last thing I wanted to discuss before we get to questions and whatnot. I mean, I was so excited seeing this offense at the weekend. We have genuine playmakers in DeAndre Swift, in Amon Ra St. Brown. You know, the offensive line's looking good with great depth. You know, the running game's performing well. Hawks doing... 
Hawk's I know we're not talking much about Hawk, but we've talked everywhere tonight. We'll have to miss some guys out. But Hawk looked good when he weren't dropping passes on there. We've not even got Jameson Williams in this team yet. I mean, he is like the burner, the key to unlock a defence over the top. Maybe the one thing we're missing at the minute because Chark's not getting used right currently. But I said at the start of this year, this, um, this team could be a top 12 offence. And I fully believe that it can be a top 12 offence. And I'm going to ask this to everyone who's in the chat as well at this point. But after what you've seen this weekend, just how good this offence can be, when you add a healthy, fit Jamison Williams into the mix, just how high could this offence go in terms of its ranking? I think it could threaten the top five or six in the league. If you are gonna, you have got a decent enough quarterback in there, a good running game, a great O-line, a smorgasbord of receivers who give you a little bit of everything, and then just you're going to add that guy in who gives you the speed, who gives you the key to unlock that last little bit of a lock. I think this could be a top six offense in the league. What, what say you, Ryan, and what say everyone in the chat? How high do you reckon it could go when Jameson Williams comes back? I reckon once... We build a rapport with guys like, say, Chark. Like, say, right now, just not clicking. Like, say, he's not getting targets because the ball, we go to the hot hand. Once Williams comes back, like, say, Hawk, Hawk's, lock, Hawk's not confident. Like, say, Hawk, right now, he's lacking a lot of confidence. You can see it in his face. There's a lot of grimaces. He's probably not feeling too good about his game. That will change. At some point, that tide has got to change. At some point, he will have a game where he goes out and gets 78 yards and a touchdown. It's coming. Like you say, it's just, it's going to be a slow burner. So when Williams gets in, I think we can have a top nine offense. I think passing offense, like I say, a top seven running game will easily finish this season if things go right, if it lives up to its potential with a top eight and nine offense. I'd say across both factors. I love it, I love it. So top nine for you, I think top five or six. I mean, we've got a lot of others in here as well. John Ball thinks, I think top six, Crimson Shadow, top ten he reckons they could be. I've seen someone saying, can we challenge the Chiefs for number one? Let's, let's maybe not get ahead of ourselves just yet, but, uh, you know, chance we could uh, chance we could always do that there. Jordy Manchin goes, our offense could be top five. I completely agree. I think you've got just about everything, and as long as Goff is confident, then I think that unlocks the key to everything. His confidence is is the key to everything. He, I was speaking to Herman Moore the other day on Lions Nation United, or yesterday after the game actually, and he said it was the first time, because he watches them a lot, he said it's the first time he felt like Goff had true command over his offense. He was changing calls at the line of scrimmage. You know, people, everyone seems to be a bit more in sync with him and he seems to be just unlocking the potential of this offense. So... I think the sky's the limit for them. And with a play caller like Ben Johnson on the back, what he did yesterday, I truly think we could be we could be right up there with some of the best offences in the league. Like I say, we'll not get ahead of ourselves, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what's going on with that. Um, I just want to talk about golf to really close things out, but anyone in the chat, if you have any other questions you want to ask, anything you want to get off the chest before we go, just just ask us. We'll... Uh, we'll uh, talk about it before the show ends I mean so yeah put all your put your comments in there questions in there whatever um, Ryan Jared Goff does he have a future more than this year here even with how well they're doing or in spite uh, of how well they're doing 
I don't know right now. I think if we had to make a decision tomorrow, it'd be very difficult. It would literally come down to dollars, dimes and pence. Like I say, I think ultimately when we win games, the completion percentage will be irrelevant. It's when we lose games that it's gonna he's gonna get crucified for it. Like I say, it's gonna be it's gonna ultimately come down oh, yeah. to wins and losses, not how well he plays. Because that is when we know we're a turbulent fan base. When things are going well, we can overlook his mistakes. When things don't go our way, we're gonna throw the puck at him. The the coaches will probably be a little bit they'll look at the bigger picture. Like I say they'll look at everything. Personality wise, absolutely. I think he fits this team. I think he gels with everyone. He's a nice guy. He cares. I think he wants to make it work here. One for him, one for his partner, future family. I think he has got the tools and everything to have a long-term career here. It's just going to ultimately come down to can he recapture his form? Can he get back to his old form? Which I ultimately think he can. Like I say, if he goes out there and throws more four touchdowns, zero interception games, it will get a lot easier to make that decision on him. Mm. I, will it? Will they offer him a new deal for the end of the season? Will he get in discussions with him? I don't think at all, no. I think a contract will never come into talk until the season's closed. Yeah. So, I think... Would I rather have Goth over a rookie? I'd say I'd probably lean towards Goth until I know where we're going to be in the draft and who it might be. I feel like a rookie obviously is exciting, maybe a really big explosive ceiling, but Goff's floor is not that bad. I know people shit on him, but his floor we've seen in the last two weeks is really not that bad for where we are right now. No, it's not. Um, cheers, Grandizer. Appreciate you joining us this evening. If you can message me on um, Facebook about those Minnesota contributors, then let us know because it's it's me running the show this week on the pod, so I've got to sort out some guests for Thursday. Um, Grandizer asked if Hank could pick a player of the game for this one, but I guess Hank's gone off to get food or something. So very very quickly, I know we finished talking about the game, but who was your player of the game for Minnesota? I know there were 101 players you could choose, but quickly, who was your Number one player in this. Probably give it to Swift. I'd, just be, just ahead of Skipper. See, I'll give it to Hutch because I feel like he's just given the pass rush a spark it needs. But I feel disingenuous to so many other players. It's a great problem to have. Like I've got so many players of the match I could give, but yeah, I, yeah, there's, there's so many. That we could do there. Um, if Hunch hadn't have got hurt, I think he'd have got four or five sacks. Yeah. I think, oh yeah. I think there was points where I wish him that he won't come back in, like say stop letting him come in, come out. But I know he was trying his best. But yeah, it felt like he just was making the decision himself. Like the yeah. coach was like, no, and he was just like running out to the huddle. Yeah. I think even Goff has a shot at player of the game, really. I just, I just, yeah, it's so many that you could, uh, that you could pick from there. Um, Single Dads Club asks if we're going to talk about Minnesota. Well, we'll we'll be doing the Thursday preview because we do two podcasts a week now for the Lions once during the season. We will do a, a dedicated preview show on Thursday, but I guess we can give our initial thoughts about it now 
uh, to close out the show. Um, I mean, after the performance you've seen at the weekend from what you know against Washington and what we could do. I mean, don't forget we we went to Minnesota and won last year when we had nothing to play for, and they were going for the playoffs. So you know, I'm not going to talk about wins just yet. It's early doors, but we know we can do it. What what are your initial thoughts about the Minnesota game next week? Um, you know, you say there's a big offense coming. How do we handle them? What 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 are you thinking? Right on the back of the Washington game. It's a big game. Right. We've just seen one good defensive line, and we're just about to. Well, we're about to see Zadarius Smith and Danielle Hunter. Mm. That is that's ferocious pass rush. We've proved that with an unhealthy O line, we can give Goff the time he needs to operate. So going into next week, if we get an offensive lineman back, great. If we don't, I would expect the same thing. I will not tolerate next week us getting rattled, rattled for five sacks and Goff getting pummeled. Because that would just undo all this unit works. Like I said, it's going to be hard. I've got, I have Minnesota as one of the AFC frontrunners. I think they're winning the division this year. I think that they, they look one of the best. They look good. They look better than they have looked in previous years. I'm definitely watching tonight against Villa. That is going to be a very interesting game. But yeah, I, I'm worried about their offense. I mean, I, I guess. Sorry, go on. I'd say I, it's going to be a huge test for Akuda. I said Justin Jefferson is a top three receiver in this league. He's looked good so far, but this is where we're going to see where he's really at. This is where I'm really going to ask a lot of him. So this is, I think this is the thing for me. I mean, one you mentioned there, we're on a short week compared to them. They're playing tonight. We're fully rested. They're going to be battered. They're going to have one day less to prep for this, and that's where this generous schedule we've been given might come into play but um, I think for me the big things I'm going to watch out for and like I say come back on Thursday we'll chat on it in a lot of depth there as to what we think but the run game Dalvin Cook has crucified us since he entered the NFL is this run defense we've got is this run defense that we've got these interior these can Bugs can Kaminsky Taylor if we want to Aleem can they finally stop him now that we seem to be able to contain the edges just a little bit better, can we stop him? That's a huge thing for us. You've mentioned the defensive line against the O line. You know, can we run the ball on them here? You know, get you know negate the issues that Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith bring because, like I say, they're a fearsome pair. I mean, we've got our tackles healthy, which is going to be really good for us. But how are we going to match up with that one? Can we get after their secondary again? Because I think Cameron Dantzler is going to be having nightmares all week about Amon Ross St. Brown. You see what he's just done to this Washington team that has some bona fide players in that secondary and he's just rinsed them, destroyed them. I mean, the run he's on at the minute is incredible. He's breaking franchise records, he's equaling NFL records. We've shown that we can get after Dantzler and co and cause damage on them, so can we do that again? lot of things I'm looking forward to with this one. Um, but like I say, I feel disingenuous just spending five minutes on it now um, because I feel like that's not doing it justice. So we will be back on Thursday to talk about the Minnesota Vikings game. I think we're going to have um, some guests on with us as well, which will be good fun for that one. So do join us for that. Um, myself and Ryan, we are going to be back on Wednesday um, with the College Football Podcast. 
college season is fascinating at this moment in time. A lot of head coaches getting fired at the minute. You know, games coming thick and fast. We're starting to see some of the rises towards the draft. We're going to start focusing on them. Obviously, it's all to do with the Detroit Lions. Who are we looking for? What you know? What are the options there? The draft never stops when it comes to me. I'm right here. So, if you want to come along and join us for that on Wednesday, we would be uh, we would be very grateful. If there's any questions anyone wants to get off just before we get out of here, then uh, just let me know. If not, thank you every single one of you who's joined us this evening on Twitch, on YouTube. I really appreciate you sticking with us through the technical issues and really getting some great chat going there this evening. It's been uh, it's been amazing. It's uh, always good. I always get nervy having to do these Detroit ones because. Matt, Matt does these and he's amazingly good at what he does and we can't really step in for him while he's gone but uh, I hope he's having a good time over in America and we shall get him back soon. It just remains for me to go through. Oh, is there anything else you want to get out of the way right before we're, we're out of here today? Nope. No? Right. Well, all I'll say then to every single one of you listening, enjoy the hell out of the rest of your victory Monday. Enjoy this feeling. Get used to this feeling because we sure as hell are going to be feeling it a lot more going forward. Let's uh, go and watch the purple incarnations of Satan later on this evening. Hope they get beaten up a bit and get ready to put a whooping on them this coming weekend. If you want to find us anywhere else at Roar of the Lions UK, you can find us all over the internet. Um, on YouTube, Roar of the Lions UK, if you're on there at the minute. We're at 549 subscribers. If someone could push us over that 550, we would absolutely love that. On Twitch, ROTL underscore UK. Just need to shout out Hedgy underscore 22 who followed us a few hours ago and to flint town and down who gave out some community sub gifts for us uh one month tier one sub on there as well really really appreciate all the uh love you're giving us on there and thanks to ash for joining us in there as always keeping me up to date with the facts and uh, telling me when I'm going wrong because I do it quite often. Um, on Facebook, you can find us at Roar of the Lions UK, our page, and then our group, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. On Twitter, you can find us at ROTL underscore UK. We're just approaching two and a half thousand followers on that. So again, if you're not following us and uh, you feel like throwing a follow our way, push us over that 2,500 mark. We're, we're catching up on some of the other UK bases here we've got one of the lowest follower bases of all nfl teams in the uk so if you could rally together and start getting us above some of those guys we would absolutely love that instagram find us at rotl underscore uk and our website www.roaretheliondsuk.com our writer ash who i keep mentioning on twitch puts out some fantastic previews about the lions fixtures every week without fail read them they are always a good source of material for the upcoming week and the rest of us write for it occasionally as well. Lots of articles on there, so go check them out. Just remains for me to thank everyone in the chat again, to Ryan for co-hosting with me this evening. Really appreciate it. And thank you to every single one of you who's been in. We really, really appreciate this. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Enjoy the rest of your victory Monday. And until we see you again in a few days, just remains for me and Ryan to say, one pride.